so I haven't quit yet. My name is Pastor Colt Robinson, and this is the Exploring Revelation podcast. So I planned to take a few weeks off last summer. It turned into several months. If you've uh, listened to uh, the first several episodes, I hope they've helped you and you've been uh, exploring Revelation in the meantime. I'm not going to go back and try to reiterate how we've gotten to the place where we are. So if you're just joining this podcast, I would challenge you to go back, start at the beginning. Uh, last time we talked about the sovereignty of God. We focused our attention on Revelation 1, 5, and 6. Today we're going to look at verses 7 and 8 in the first chapter. So let's just dive right in. Let me read those verses. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, right at the onset here, these words, behold, he is coming, are important in that they introduce what is really the great theme of the entire book. The, the fact of Christ's coming is a, a promise that is of great comfort to suffering believers, and it serves as a tremendous warning to those who are unyielding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we should uh, mention at this point that the, the good scholars are not in perfect agreement here as to what this is referring to. Is it making a reference to the second coming of Christ at the end of history as we know it? Or is it a reference to something else? Something that believers alive at the time would be witnesses to? Now, it's true that, that most of us read uh, this coming from a, a futurist approach, and that's, uh, the, dare I say, the most natural reading of the, the statement. Our minds automatically go to the end of history when we see the word coming I shouldn't have to tell you this, but I will. Just because our minds naturally go to the end of history as we're reading this, just because that is the, the predominant view in our circles for the, the past uh, several decades doesn't mean that it's the right one. So let's try to take a step back here for a few minutes and see how different people might approach this statement. Like, like I said, the futurist takes this statement somewhat literal and sees it as a prediction of the second coming of Jesus Christ on the clouds at the end of history. Now, this isn't the only the futurist view that sees it this way. The, the spiritualist and the, or the idealist and the historicist uh, often interpret it as a reference to the second coming of Christ. Now, the, the spiritualist or the idealist approach might see several references to the second coming. Uh, if you remember, this approach tends to spiritualize things, as the name implies. Uh, Rush Dooney says this. He says, this Christ comes continually in the clouds of judgment over history, end quote. I mean, I, I kind of have a problem with that view, even though uh, Rush Dooney is right in a sense Christ is responsible for judgment. There's no question that he does come in judgment. He has, and he will ultimately tell, ultimately every knee is going to bow before him. The, the question is, is what is, is that, is, is that what is in view here? I don't think so. My problem with the idealist or, or spiritual approach is that it tends to, to allegorize things far too much, making a solid interpretation really impossible. 
John MacArthur, a futurist, uh, one who I greatly respect in a lot of areas, sees this verse as a reference to the second coming. He goes back to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, assuming that Daniel is speaking of the second coming at the end of history as, as well, because both passages speak of the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. One of the, the difficulties for MacArthur and, and other futurists is in verse 7 when it speaks of those who will witness this coming and those who pierced him are specifically mentioned there. MacArthur says this, I'll just quote him. They who pierced him is not a reference to the four Roman soldiers usually involved in crucifixion, but to the Jews who were actually responsible for Christ's death. Zechariah identified the ones who pierced him as the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and prophesied that they will weep tears of genuine repentance because of what they did to their Messiah. MacArthur goes on to say that this is a uh, that this reference to all the tribes of the earth mourning isn't a, a genuine repentance, but it's a result of guilt for sin and the fear of punishment. It seems to me that, that MacArthur is making a, a great assumption that this must be a, a reference to the future. And then he has to do some kind of funny things with the text to, to get there. Like those who pierced him isn't a reference to those who actually pierced him, but it's a reference to Jews living thousands of years later who genuinely feel sorry for what they have done. Uh, he, he might be right, but I can't say that that is to me a plain reading of the text. I think whatever the meaning is, it is intended to bring comfort to the reader. I mean, we can all agree on that, right? Even uh, if we find uh, J-Mac's interpretation here to be a little bit lacking, I, I think we can still agree with him on this, that, that he would say that this, the intention here is to bring comfort to the reader, to bring comfort to those who, who read this. Now, preterist commentators at this point offer a different meaning of this verse. They say that, it, that to, to fit the context, it, it must actually accomplish this, this purpose in bringing comfort to the Christian reading the, the book at the time it was written who's undergoing suffering. Preterists suggest that this passage is not a literal prediction of the second coming. Instead, it figuratively is describing Christ's coming in vengeance to destroy Jerusalem using the vehicle of the Roman army in the year 70 AD. Now, the, the preterist here seems to agree with Rushduni's interpretation that we mentioned earlier when we were talking about the idealist perspective. The, the difference, though, is for the preterist, the reference here is speaking to a, a single event. The, the preterist, uh, for the preterist, what the author has in mind here is the destruction of Jerusalem, not uh, many times when he comes in, in judgment. Now, we should notice that this interpretation, even though it sounds pretty foreign to many of us, it does deal with the fact that those who pierced him will be witnesses to this coming. Even when the, the text speaks of every eye will see him, that, that phrase can just as easily mean that everyone in the land, 
everyone alive. There, there will not be anyone who is, is immune from knowing what is going on. Everybody is going to be affected by the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. The, the preterist here is, is quick to point out that the word coming of the Lord is used in, in other places that do not refer to the second coming. Uh, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, we read that uh, Jesus is saying here that if those who do not repent, he will, if these do not repent, he will come and he will remove their lampstand. It doesn't sound like the second coming. He's, he's coming for a specific purpose, and that is to remove the, the lampstand. In Revelation 3.20, a verse that, that many know, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Again, the coming of Jesus here to, to eat with one doesn't sound like a reference to the second coming. Listen to, to Malachi uh, 3, 1 and 2. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare a way before me. And the Lord whom you will seek will suddenly come into his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who will endure in the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire, like the fuller's soap. Now, even John MacArthur here admits that this passage is, is speaking about John the Baptist as the, the messenger that prepares the way. And the, the fact that Jesus appeared on the scene immediately after this, uh, for MacArthur, this passage finds its, its partial fulfillment in the first advent of Christ and its ultimate fulfillment in the, in the second coming. But the point here still stands. The coming of Christ here doesn't always refer to the second coming. It can refer to uh, his first coming as well. Now, check out Matthew chapter 10, verse 23. Jesus, speaking to the disciples, says this, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have go through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Some might interpret that passage to the second coming, but would, you know, boy, I would think that one would have to do some hermeneutical gymnastics to show that the disciples would have understood this to mean the second coming uh, thousands of years into the future when Jesus is specifically sending them out into the towns of Israel, saying that the Son of Man comes before they'll get done. Now, there's something else here. That phrase, all of the tribes of earth will mourn. What is meant by all tribes, right? MacArthur made a distinction. He said that all tribes here was everyone else outside of the Jewish nation who will mourn but aren't truly repentant. It seems a little bit funny to the, the preterists. They are quick to point out that the Gentile world, in the Gentile world, the, the normal pattern would be to refer to those people, the, the Gentiles, as, as Gentile nations, not Gentile tribes. It's the nation of Israel that we divide into tribes. So the tribes of the earth would best be understood as the tribes of Israel. And why would they mourn? Well, if the second coming here is a reference to Jesus' coming in judgment through the vehicle of the Roman Empire to destroy the city of Jerusalem, the mourning here for the Jews would be obvious. It would be a judgment on them. Now, let me just quickly talk about verse 8 a little bit. The, the question here is, who is the speaker in verse 8? 
Who is the alpha and the mega? Who is the who is and who was and who is to come? Who is the almighty? The text identifies him as the Lord God. And in verse four, that phrase is used as a reference to God the Father. But we should note here that the phrase can equally be applied to Jesus. The author of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse eight, said that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we skip a few chapters in Revelation and go to Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 and 13, we read this. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Certainly, this is Jesus speaking, attributing to himself the same title as the Father has. In our text then, it is if, if it is Jesus speaking, and it possibly could be, he takes on the title of El Shaddai, the Almighty. Here is my point. My point is that it is very possible that Jesus is the speaker in verse eight. That there's really no reason to suggest that it could not be him. And that being said, I want you to note that the Christology here is of the highest order. I think that's something really worth noting at the onset of our study in the book of Revelation. Notice as you read it, notice that as we study this, and we won't point it out all the time because we're just touching the surface of all of this, but notice the, the amazingly high Christology. Jesus is God. So backing up a little bit, I'm not trying to throw a wrench into your understanding of the, the phrase there, behold, he is coming with the clouds in, in verse seven. I'm just simply pointing out how others interpret that and why. And we're going to see more of this uh, over and over and over as we go through the book. We're really just touching the surface though. So uh, thanks for listening to the Exploring Revelation podcast today. I'm Pastor Colt Robinson. I'm the pastor of Bethel Church. I live in rural South Dakota. You can connect with me by visiting the Exploring Revelation website at exploringrevelation.com. I'd love to hear from you. You can um, find this podcast wherever you like to get podcasts. If you have questions or comments, don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you, Lord willing, next week.